0: Welcome to episode 115 of A Sides. I'm Andy and for this episode I spoke with Jared Pope who is the drummer for not only Brother Kane but Damon Johnson and the Tom Kiefer band as well. He told me about his backstory, getting involved in those various bands, his history growing up in rock music, his favorite albums, and we really dove deep down the 70s rock and roll rabbit hole as well. He's a cool guy hopefully you enjoy his stories and you can feel his passion and enthusiasm for rock and roll so here is jared pope a-side's episode 115 look
1: it's rock and roll and cue music
0: Thanks for doing this, because I've seen you play like a whole bunch of times throughout different bands, but I've never actually met you or talked to you before, so I appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Recently, you played a show in Graceland with the Tom Kiefer band. Like, how was that experience?
1: It was actually really cool. Uh, As as many times as I've been to Memphis, um, I'd never been to Graceland, so... Oh, wow. It was pretty cool, and that venue, I think that venue is called Graceland Live i think it's it's a fairly newer venue i think they opened it in 19 maybe but the coolest thing was they had the 68 the elvis lights and the hanging back there from the 68 comeback show the uh-huh. red elvis letters with the lights on it they had the actual one back there and uh-huh. i guess it was only it was only used that one time but they've used it like overseas and stuff like that with some of those shows they do the tribute shows and all that kind of stuff that's kind of the gist that i got from the from the guy that was giving us the lowdown on the place but um yeah so we got to yeah it was cool man we got to go do the the tour of graceland which i've never done pretty interesting to say the least billy our bass player he was able to go check out the museum and all that stuff so he saw his cars and all those things all the outfits and but we didn't do that. We just went over to Graceland, and it was pretty cool, though. Yeah. Oh, cool. And the venue was really great, man. I was really surprised. It was a proper venue. It was a good show.
0: Did you watch that Elvis movie that came out recently?
1: I was going to watch it when it first was available, and, um, of course, I got the skewed review from some buddies that didn't really too much care for it, Um So then that kind of put me off from watching it for a minute, but I'm going to, you know, after being there and checking it out, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to have to check it out. So
0: I haven't seen it either, but I have heard some like mixed reviews, right? I'm not totally into Elvis, but, but just recently, I think within the last couple of years, I did see the Kurt Russell one from like, you know, the late
1: seventies. Oh, was it 3000 miles to Graceland or something like that.
0: Oh man, I forgot about that one. I was thinking of one that was a John Carpenter movie. It was like a TV. Okay,
1: yeah. Well, who was in that one? Three Thousand Miles to Graceland was that?
0: Uh, Was was that that Nick
1: Nick Cage? Maybe Nick Cage.
0: I don't
1: know. uh, Patrick
0: Swayze, I think, or somebody like that. I can't even. Maybe
1: uh, that's why. That's why I'm a musician. (laughs) um, Yeah, I'll have to check that out. So, did you grow up in
0: Nashville? Are you from that area?
1: No, I am not. Uh, I am actually, uh, I was born and raised in California. I was born on the Central Coast, a city called Santa Maria, many, many years ago. And I grew up kind of, my earlier years, I grew up on the Central Coast, like around San Luis Obispo, a place called Los Osos, Morro Bay, pretty much right down the beach, Baywood Park. Um, it's like a little beachside community. And I lived there until I moved kind of inland to a Tascadero. And then, I mean, I've lived all over California Bay area, LA, um, a lot of years in Bakersfield, um, where a lot of my, I got a lot of my musician experience in Bakersfield, which if, if you're a musician and you know a little bit, there's, there's a lot of musicians that have come out of Bakersfield, you know, it's kind of a thriving scene for kind of a, not a really great place to live. <laughs> I mean the air quality is really bad, and that's what I mean by that. It's just the the air is really not healthy to breathe. It's worse than Los Angeles, if you can believe that, because it's in a valley. It's in the San Joaquin Valley, so all the smog and everything comes over from L.A. and just sits down in there, and it's really, really bad. And they have a, you know, if if you've lived there long enough, you can get what's called Valley Fever. Which is a spore that gets into your lungs.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, yeah, it can be fatal. I mean, it's, it's really rough. Most people that have had it and got through it and everything, they have lasting issues with it, like their constant fatigue and stuff. I guess a lot of, in a lot of ways, kind of like COVID, you know, same people that have gotten COVID and kind of some lasting effects of that, I guess. Long story longer. Yeah. I was born and raised in California and I moved here. I think it was. 2013. So I've been here 10 years. I really, really love the city when I moved here. I don't too much care for it now. It's just got, it's just kind of turned into another big city in a lot of ways. You know, it was kind of like I moved from California to kind of get away from all the big city and the bustle. You know, you have to really think about the times of days that, you know, you're going to get out and do stuff and. So that just keeps me home I just stay at home if I'm not touring I'm at home right you know my buddy has a studio not far from here where I keep all of my drums and I just go there and practice we we're, we're homebodies
0: kind of makes sense because it seemed like it it just really like blew up with it being more of like a, a music hub
1: unfortunately I mean they're they're tearing down a lot of the cool venues um that really kind of made this city really you know I'm not a veteran of, of Nashville. I wasn't born and raised here. So I'm not, um, I can't really speak much to that. I can just say how I, how I've dealt with it and how I feel about it. You know, oh, yeah. I've, I've met a lot of great friends here and I've had some great musical experiences in this city. And, uh, I'm very thankful for that, but it's just gotten a little, it's gotten to be a little too much. And it, the cost of living here is it's, it's insanity. <laughs> it's really, it's really bad. You
0: mentioned the venues closing and stuff. I think Tony, who you play with, Tony Higby. Um, yeah, I was gonna come down a year or so ago because his band,
1: Eastside Gamblers. Yes,
0: Eastside Gamblers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like my mind went blank. But Eastside Gamblers were gonna play with the Great Affairs. I'm friends with those guys, so I was yeah, gonna come yeah. down, and it was gonna be at. I think the cannery ballroom, but that thing is closing or it has closed already.
1: Well, what happened was the building was bought. It was purchased for some exorbitant amount of money, like 30 something million dollars. You know, that that place actually housed three different venues music wise. There was the cannery ballroom, which was the big, huge room. And then Mercy Lounge, which is where our residency, the rock and roll residency used to play. And then there's a, a little smaller one, a little bit smaller called um, the High Watt, H I W A T T. So those were the kind of the three venues in there. The building was purchased. Everybody got a little worried about it, but we were assured that, oh, uh, you know, this, it's, it's going to function as is. And then, you know, here comes friendly COVID and just shuts everything down. I think kind of in the interim, I mean, it just you really couldn't, you can't really sustain a place like that. But uh, the last I heard is that it's going to function as a music facility, just different ownership, different managers. I guess I don't know. I imagine it's going to be. There. It's not going to be the Cannery, High Water, Mercy Lounge anymore. Um, but I can't really speak with 100 percent accuracy on that. I don't know. Um, just the rumor that I heard was that it's still going to operate as mm-hmm. um, a venue. But uh, you know, and they just closed exit in. And I guess that's kind of the deal, too, is that's supposed to function as a venue. It's so hard to keep up with it all, you know? I I mean, it's bad enough just trying to keep my schedule together and figure out what I'm going to (laughs) do.
0: Yeah, because you Um, play with Brother Kane now. Um, Well, you've been with Damon and then also um, Tom Kiefer. So you're always busy, it seems like.
1: Right. Um. And every once in a while I play with um, uh, my buddy Tyler Warren and Rachel Bransness have a band called Flarelight, which is really cool stuff.
0: Oh,
1: cool. Um, and I, you know, Tyler, when he's not playing in queen, um, that's, that's kind of what he's doing here. They write a lot and um, that's really fun stuff too. So yeah, those are kind of the, the projects that, that I'm involved with. And you mentioned the great affairs. Matt Anderson's a great friend of mine. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Cause I was in a band with him called once free with a friend of ours danilo lopez and uh we that was original stuff as well really fun band that band hasn't functioned in a lot of years but uh we're all still good good friends and but you know we're all busy doing other stuff you know
0: well you said you grew up in uh california like was music a part of your life like ever since you were little like was has it always been a part of you
1: yes absolutely um it's it's always been there ever since i was uh the first drum kit i got my stepdad and my mom they got me a muppet kit and i was sick i think i was six six or seven i live with my mom and my dad had got me i i just wanted a kiss record this was 19 this had to be around this had to be 77 i think seventy-seven, seventy-eight. the first few kiss records had already been out for for a minute he got me hotter than hell that was the first <laughs> record i ever had was hotter than hell I just remember putting that record on. My stepdad had a ridiculous stereo system, the old Morant stuff. And this was the 70s, man. So I remember putting that thing on and just cranking it and just beating the hell out of the kit. And I was playing to Parasite. And I stopped with the song, and I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I just knew. then that's a story later too like when i got to play with gene that was pretty surreal to actually play parasite you know my six-year-old self was high-fiving me so but yeah music music is i I, i've always wanted to play drums since i was six or seven years old that was my focus never been anything else never that's it (laughs) i always knew
0: it's kind of funny like well, I punch clock and people are always like, hey, how's it going? Like, oh, I'm I'm just living the dream. And it's like a joke that they say, but you actually are living the dream then.
1: I'm living somebody's dream. I, uh, guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it is the greatest, it is the greatest job in the world to me. You know, I get to create and uh, that's kind of where I am now. It's the money's not always wh- what you want it to be, but I mean if if you're getting into any kind of art form for money then you need to do something else you know yeah. that's I was I never thought about money when I was a kid I just knew that I needed to play drums and that's what I had to do you know and uh the the pursuit of the craft has always been that's always been the thing for me it's always what's kept kept me going the dream you know and uh I'm very thankful for it and I'm at a point now in my life where I've made decisions that I made the decision. Part of that moving to Nashville was I wasn't going to play music that didn't fulfill me. Um, you know, I wasn't just going to, in other words, I wasn't just going to play for a paycheck anymore. I'm not. And I think I've been able to do that here. Um, I did play with a national country act for a minute and the band was phenomenal. The musicians were incredible but it's just that whole scene is just not for me, you know? And I see how a lot of that works. It's, it's the, it's the artist's game. You know, they, they can pick and choose whoever they want. And if you try and maybe ask for a raise or something, it's like, nah, we'll just get the next guy that'll actually do it for less than you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that I always had a hard time with. I had a problem with that. They're, they're running tracks. Mm -hmm. Um, which is cool I mean it's a grid it's a click track and I totally get that but you know a lot of a lot of times you know for me I would be in a situation where I'm playing this stuff and I'm hearing a utility like a banjo and I might be hearing some organ or some keys or something and it's on the track and in my mind I'm just like why don't you hire somebody and let some let some guy feed his family you know what I mean like put somebody to work that's worked their whole life I just, that whole thing, I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but that whole thing oh, no, to me just thing. really, it really just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, I just, I that's not, that's not how I learned music and, and, and the pursuit of art to to play along to things like that. You know, put somebody to work, you know, and yeah. feel good about it. It was one of the lowest paying gigs I've ever had in my life. But I mean, you know, it was fine, whatever. I mean, I agreed, I agreed to it, but. I had to move to Nashville to get fired. You know what I mean? It, it stung a little bit. Stung my pride because I'd never been fired, but it had nothing to do with my playing. And it was, I didn't fit that mold. You know what I mean? I didn't look like the guys in that band. You know, I had long hair, and it um, sounds like
0: kind of like a job like I would have. You know, you um, you obviously get into this because you're passionate about it, but then it sounds like right. this kind of job would just suck the passion out.
1: Yeah, no, I mean yeah. a lot of that stuff is just jive, man. It really is. Yeah. It's just jive. I mean, at the end of the day, most of the guys that I know that are playing with these artists, I mean, a lot of them make really good money and I'm I'm stoked for them. That's great. What I've found mm-hmm. in in this in this scene of like that that genre stuff is like there's not a lot of loyalty, you know. And I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off by saying this, but I really don't care. Because, I mean, that, that genre doesn't affect what I do at all, but I can have an opinion about what I see. I'm not stupid, you know what I mean? Like, I've been around the industry my whole life, and uh, it was very bizarre to come to Nashville and witness that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I didn't really see that before. I can tell you right now, Damon doesn't operate that way at all. Tom Kiefer doesn't operate that way at all. Those are both huge musically gratifying experiences for me and it's always I'm always happy to go go to go to my job I'm happy to go to bus call yeah. and go do those shows man and you know those artists you know not only do I respect them I mean they're my brothers you know what I mean the band we're a family and uh we would never treat anybody that way I I, I couldn't imagine ever ever having to deal with that kind of scenario with either of those artists and that I'm fortunate for, but it's also part of what I was telling you. I I chose that. I chose to play with artists that um, I respect and who respect me, you know, and we have a mutual respect and that makes for a great creative process, you know, and I don't have to worry about waking up and getting a call from a manager that I'm fired because I wasn't wearing the right shoes on stage or whatever, you know, because it gets, it's as dumb as that. I'm telling you, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is as dumb as that. So I'm, yeah, I'm very thankful for this job and the artists that I, I give my time and my devotion to, you know what I mean? Because I get, they, they reciprocate and that's the, that's just the ultimate for me. I can be creative and that's, that's the goal, you know, that's that's where it really that's the means to the end for me is like money money comes and goes man i have a great job you know what i mean i i I get a lot of time off i can go spend time with family and do stuff like that and i can pretty much do whatever i want (laughs) but i've worked my ass off to get there you know what i mean it's not this didn't just happen overnight i've paid a lot of dues playing at bars and the four-hour gigs and, and that's another thing moving here um, a lot of my friends that play those downtown Broadway gigs and those guys don't even get pee breaks. Oh,
0: shit. They got to
1: play like, yeah, they play for four hours straight. Unless, unless you have a buddy that comes in and you can call them up to sit in or whatever while you run to the John man. And, but it's just so bizarre to me and it's just a thankless, thankless job, man. I mean, a lot of those guys make great money and it's, that's great. But Man, I, I just can't deal with it. I can't deal with all the drunk people. and Downtown is not a scene for me at all. And if you can make a living doing it, man, that's more power to you. I I got to give it up to those guys because that is tough work. It is brutal.
0: Not to go down that rabbit hole too far, but uh, you just reminded me of something Denny said too. Like uh, playing in bars and people just want to hear cover songs. Right. Um, he's used some term like sonic wallpaper because that's what he feels oh. like. Right.
1: That's great. I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, it's, look, it's just not for me, man. Bars like that is just, that's just not my scene. I'm too old. I just feel like an old man. I feel out of place. I don't feel comfortable. And like, I did that for a lot of years and I paid my dues and I'm good with that. And I just don't want to do it anymore. But like I said, I, I respect the hell out of those guys going down there. And I mean, some of those guys are doing doubles and even triples. I just, that's just insane. But I mean, look, they're laughing all the way to the bank, man. They're making they're making the money. But the trade off for me is just it it's just can't—I do not I c I don't I, I can't do that. I, I don't think I could even play a four hour gig. I would probably break my hip or something. I don't know. i am just i just I d I just I don't think I could do it.
0: Going back you mentioned your first drum Kit the Muppet kit. Well there was something where it was a year ago played a show in Joliet, Illinois, um, with damon one of the first brother kane shows and on your kit you had a piece of tape that was like cb 700 (laughs) i think it was a tribute to taylor hawkins because
1: it absolutely was
0: he had passed and my buddy noticed that in one of the pictures i took of the show and so we were just wondering uh, what the cb 700 is is it a kit or is it like
1: it, CB 700 was a brand of drums. Um, You know, it was like an entry level kit, and just about everybody I know had a CB 700 kit. And I really feel like they got a bad rap a lot of the time because I, they were probably some kind of a mahogany poplar, you know, inexpensive wood to make to put together and manufacture. But CB 700 was a brand of drums, and I saw that sticker on Taylor's head, and I actually had my brother Danny who is is my drum tech for Tom I actually had he's really he's really crafty he's really artistic I actually had him measure out kind of based on what he saw and I I actually had him write out the CB700 so it it's almost an exact replica of what you oh, would dude. see on Taylor's yeah <laughs> I had him everything looked identical and he he pretty much nailed that so yeah i kept that on there for a while man that was pretty fun i even forgot about it at at one point but oh yeah (laughs) yeah that was definitely a tribute to taylor man he's he was uh one of my favorites for a lot of reasons not just his drumming he was actually an incredible singer and just musician in general i mean all of it all the coattail writers stuff i don't know if you're hip to that I've heard of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane how great that stuff is. And I feel like a lot of people don't, aren't as hip to that and they should be because look, Foo Fighters, what a great legacy. Absolutely incredible. And that whole, that chemistry that, that him and Dave had was definitely palpable. But his solo stuff was, it was otherworldly to me. I mean, way more creative in the sense that, he could tell like, just there were no rains on him at all. No Red Light Fever is one of the greatest records I, I think I've, I've, ever, I've ever owned. It's just, it's just, I highly recommend it, man. Go down the rabbit hole. And I'll tell you, I was even late to the party, too. Tony Higby got me hip to all that stuff. He's definitely the one that I'll go to when I have a question about stuff because he knows so much that guy's an encyclopedia and he has he has a pretty great yeah he has a pretty amazing record collection and we're as a matter of fact we're talking about that right now because on the road for soundcheck we usually learn two or three songs for Mm -hmm. each tour to to play at soundcheck like just something random i mean like for instance we did on this last tour we did um sensational alex harvey bands we did the uh midnight moses which I, I used to play that with the residency and, but, and then we did uh, Cheap Tricks, Reach Out from the heavy metal soundtrack.
0: Oh, cool.
1: Yeah. And um, what was the other one we did? Oh, 30 Days in the Hole. So, yeah, I mean, it's some humble pie, but that's like our time before Tom comes up and we do our regular sound check. Yeah. We get about 10, 10, or 15 minutes where we get to just kind of do our own thing. We'll play one or two songs. and We're talking about that right now, some deep cuts. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. There's been some talk about maybe a Billy Squire song, so we'll see. <laughs> Cause we got to cover everything. We got some keys. I mean, Corey's up there key, playing keys, and Corey sings his ass off. He sings a really high parts. Him and Tony both. We can get kind of creative with those songs, you know, like real thick vocal stuff and oh, just cool. creative. It's kind of our time to 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 mess around before Tom comes up, and because we have a very very regimented sound check with Tom, and I love it because it's it's in and out. We're in and out like that. Tom's like kind of a no-nonsense. He doesn't like to spend a lot of time, you know, wasting time. And he kind of rehearses that way too. When we start pre-production for tours, he's, I love it. Cause like, he'll come in and like, we'll run through the set and he's like, all right, cool. I'll see you guys tomorrow. You know what I mean? Oh, damn. Like we'll, we'll, we'll rent out um, the venue. Like we'll have, we'll rent out like SIR for two weeks before we go on tour to put the set list together and do everything that we're going to do. But it's super laid back. It's not like eight or nine hour practice days. We don't we don't need to rehearse like that, you know. We have the, he'll give us a set list ahead of time. Everybody does their homework, and, uh, and then we show up. and Usually the first day is kind of serious pre production. Like I'm maybe resetting up my kit, different with my with my tech, my brother, and we're just kind of going working the kinks out. If you know what I mean, like all the tech technology and all that stuff, and then usually by the second day we're making noise and we may not even get all the way through the set. We may just play half of it and he'll be like, all right, that's good. Let's go home. You know, it's and we don't start till five or six at night usually. And I'm, we're usually out of there by eight 30. I mean, it's a really great setup. I, I really love that. I love the fact that he doesn't work us to death, you know, but that, yeah. Anyway, that's, I, I know I'm getting on a tangent, but, the sound checks that's that's kind of what we do we'll 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 get some deep cuts out and just kind of we'll go through it you know and have some fun with that but tony's the man that that's hit me to a lot of stuff but i highly recommend i highly recommend the coattail stuff if you haven't checked it out the coattail riders did it's you ever great. see
0: taylor hawkins live or foo fighters
1: i did yeah I, yeah i saw the foo fighters man several times and I mean every time it was just better and better and better that was one of the greatest rock bands ever i mean the show was just just yeah. so good just so good I, i'd never heard anything bad just every time it was very inspiring and it's really it's really a tragedy man that yeah. that he's not making music anymore it's just it's sad it's, it's really unfortunate you know for whatever reason man it's there's no good reason for it, man. I, it's just sad. Makes me sad because <laughs> he was just so gifted. And once people start getting hip to the stuff that he did away from the Foo Fighters, you really start to kind of grasp the kind of musician that he was, and his capabilities. And I mean, he he reminded me of like a, a young Roger Taylor. The way he he sang, you know, he would sing yeah. the stuff, and his playing was just on fire. And the arrangements are so crazy i mean a lot of odd time and real queen influenced stuff i mean queen was his favorite band but i mean so many influences it's just every anybody that's not that hip to it i always tell them go back go listen to this stuff it's just it's so good and the birds of satan it's just so <laughs> good man <laughs> so good
0: well you had mentioned uh the kiss hotter than hell from your childhood well what else in- influenced you back then
1: kiss was a huge influence no doubt about it um, all the way up till um, I, I've talked about this before. I listening to Dynasty, I knew something was up as far as the the drumming. And then by the time it got to unmasked, I was like, that's not Peter Chris playing drums, man. That's just he didn't he didn't have that swagger like that. He couldn't play like that. Anton crushed all that stuff. But the first three kiss records, man, Peter played with so much fire. He just had a he had he was swinging you know yeah. it was great stuff just for sure but i mean in my household there were so many different influences man we listened to a lot of um my parents listened to a lot of motown like old stacks records and oh cool yeah so i mean that's kind of where i learned how to how to play my sister uh, who was six years older than me she was brought in more of the rock influence with her girlfriends and stuff so I remember her bringing Van Halen the first record home in 1978 and it changed my life, you know, but through her friends, I got hip to like UFO. and. But my sister listened to everything too. She'd have Rod Stewart records. And I mean, it just we had everything rolling through the house, bread, you know, America, like all the seventies stuff, which why to this day, that's my favorite decade of music. I mean, nine times out of ten, if I'm listening to anything and I'm doing stuff, if it's not something eclectic that I've picked out, it's seventies. I'm always listening to the seventies, you know, sixties and seventies. Beatles. I wasn't a big Beatles fan when I was a kid, but um, the gateway to the Beatles was through Paul McCartney and Wings, like the record specifically the record um, at the speed of sound, speed of sound. And then I just oh, kind of went silly backwards. love songs. I think. Oh yeah, let them in. I mean, yeah. it just. Yes, yes. Yeah. Me... Oh, yeah. Wings is that's one of my favorite bands too. I mean I just oh, awesome. there's so much image yeah, so much imagery I attached to that stuff being a kid. I mean we just we just did that Brother Kane just did that run um, last weekend. The whole way up I was listening I was listening to the Wings, as a matter of fact venus and mars and i mean just (laughs) all of it i mean you name pretty much any 70s artist i'm a fan like gary wright that there's a lot of hits on dream weaver that people aren't hip to you know what i mean like there's just so much stuff super tramp i just love it all i love all of it old sticks old foreigner every the first uh. the first three foreigner records i love
0: Speaking of 70s rock, you posted about a month ago um, a Grand Funk Railroad album, but then you posted that live album, and I went and checked it out like right away, and that is a badass album.
1: That, listen, man, real quick, there's a story behind that, too, because my uncle, who's since passed away, but w- when I was growing up, he played drums, and he, he hit me to so much cool stuff, like all the Zeppelin stuff, and Grand Funk was one of his go-to's. It's so crazy because I had forgotten how great that record was and I guess it was about two months ago we did Brother Kane did a run and we went down into Florida and John Karabi was on those dates with us. he was just playing acoustic. The last night I knew John was going to be riding up alone because he said, hey, if anybody wants to ride back to Nashville, you know I got a I got an open seat and I'm like, hey yeah, dude, I'll ride with you that's that's great. So we started out the whole journey listening to that record the live record and i forgot how great it was hanging out with john is a gas anyway i mean the guy's got a billion stories and he's just super funny and john actually got me hip back to that record because it had been so long and i forgot how great it was that's why i posted that yeah um because yeah it was immediate we listened to it a couple of times on the way up and and uh, on the yeah on the way back up and i got home and and put it on immediately and uh yeah it's a fantastic record all that 70s stuff is yeah. so great man because you had to actually play back then you know they didn't have the technology we got today
0: oh yeah and speaking the- of that i guess that's the era too where everybody had big live albums like that like kiss cheap trick and stuff Right. And they kind of broke with live albums
1: the, re- the most recent one I got is the cheap trick from a uh, whiskey. The four nights at the whiskey while, while they were recording in color. Oh, cool! Yeah, they well, they, I guess I think they only made two thousand copies of it, but it's four discs. It's from a couple of nights, and dude, it blows it blows Budokan away. It's fantastic. Oh, dang. It's absolutely fantastic. Tony and I both ordered it unknowingly. Like I didn't know he'd ordered it because I ordered it because I jumped on the bandwagon i got this notification it was like hey we're only pressing 2000 of these uh, limited release four discs and i jumped on it right away i mean it was only like 50 bucks which is i I would have paid 100 for that (laughs) but yeah and i told tony he's like yeah i ordered it too and i was like of course you did of course you ordered it (laughs) so we both got it about the same time and we were both you know texting back and forth can you believe this and the answer is yes, Robin Zander is one of the greatest singer frontmen of all time. Those guys are all buddies, man. I mean, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would ever get to hang out and be friends with Cheap Trick, man. And oh, uh, awesome. damn yeah D- dax is a dax is a good friend of mine um great drummer we've we've played with cheap trick quite a bit and it's always been fun so that's always a treat and like we've got to get on stage and and do like surrender with them and stuff like that and there's video footage of that on youtube which i'll cherish forever yeah is man that with the residency All... or with a Kiefer band no or... that with tom tom Kiefer. oh yeah yeah and uh we we did a couple of things with them. We did some shows like the Poison and them and one time it was Tom we were in Texas and it was Kings of Chaos which is
0: oh, I remember that. Weren't they kind of like a thing where they would kind of rotate in people or
1: something? Yeah, 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 they they definitely rotate in people and it's it's mostly like they ch- they change the singers it's where am i drawing a blank i think so joe elliot
0: might have done some stuff or sebastian well Washington. the sing
1: the singers on this particular gig it it was glenn hughes which was amazing oh, and man. robin zander billy duffy from the cult and uh why am i drawing a blank bass player for stone temple pilots
0: the DeLeo brothers.
1: yes 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 the bass player and then um uh on drums this is really bad. He played with Velvet Revolver and uh, Matt Sorum. Thank you, yeah. God, man, I'm so bad. I think it was kind of Matt kind of spearheaded that thing, really. But um, the the particular singers on the gig that we did, it was Glenn Hughes and Robin. So it was cool because Robin was hanging in our trailer backstage because. Um, mm-hmm. But they've they've invited us every time to come on and, and uh, do surrender at the end of the it's just it's a gas man i love it i love those guys mm-hmm. and that band is like they were i mean they're the beatles of my childhood you know what i mean for me the neck that next generation and that's how i've always regarded them one of my favorite bands of all time cheap trick
0: it um, seems like i'm younger like i was born at 84 so i kind of got okay. into rock and yeah. roll like later okay and it seems like I just couldn't escape it. Like, Denny Smith from The Great Affairs, he loves Cheap Trick. And then the more kind of friends I made, everybody loves Cheap Trick. And it seems like yeah, it's, man. it's all musicians that love Cheap Trick. So I got turned on to them like, through that. But what do you think the appeal is, though?
1: You know what, man? It's just great songwriting. Great songs. man. the melodies are just, like I said, I, I just think it, it's it's kind of like where the Beatles left off. I mean, that's how I felt like about electric light orchestra i felt like if the beatles would have continued on i felt like that's kind of where they would have went you know jeff lynn obviously inspired by george harrison the beatles i mean just unbelievably i mean the traveling wilburys another great band you know super group but i really just feel like like cheap trick is kind of an anthem they're like the anthem of the 70s man to me i mean i just my childhood like that just really I attached so much imagery to all of that stuff and i think um i think it's the same with like pink floyd i was talking to a buddy of mine the other day that every time a pink floyd comes on i just i can remember like a street when i was a kid that i'd walk down <laughs> with buddies or whatever, you know what I mean? Like I could just really see things vividly. That's just the ultimate thing for me. I mean, that's the attachment really. And that's what music does for me. It just hits me on that level, you know?
0: It's like oxygen. Like to me, at least that's what rock and roll is. Yeah, man. Going back though, you had uh, said you rode in the car with uh, Karabi. I saw that you even even played with him recently, those Brother Kane shows in Michigan.
1: It was uh, the second night he was with us because the first night he was with uh he was uh opened up for Orianti.
0: Um, I was, was actually at, the, at that show, yeah.
1: Yeah, at the Arcada, right? Right? He, yeah, he yep. he opened up. So, which is man, I love that theater. I love that theater. Yeah, it it's one is of my favorite cool place. places to They've play.
0: even like kind of like redesigned it recently. Like they added like a restaurant in the front area.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, I know that um every time I'm up there and I play that uh there's a guy that build snare drums not anymore but jim byer um, and i use his snares actually i, I endorse gretz drums but i've been using his buyer snares for quite a while now but every time i'm usually playing arcada he's always there he gets to come up and we usually have dinner and it's always a great hang but that, i just love the sound of that that theater to me it just sounds so great and we always have great shows there when we're not blowing the PA system up, oh. <laughs> has that, that happened? You guys were too there. loud. I think what happened was my buddies in Accept they played there like right before us, and I think that I somebody told me that something had caught on fire back there. I don't know that they actually got it one hundred percent fixed because oh, yeah. we started playing our show and like we lost like the left or right side of the PA went out, so it was kind of anticlimactic, man. Because, you know, we're, we got into the, this groove and then we got to stop and we kind of walk off stage and Tom was kind of bummed out because Tom gets in that mode where he's just kind of to 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 pull the reins back on Tom, never going to be a good idea. He's just he's never going to be on board with that, you know, but we had no choice. But it kind of sapped the energy a little bit. We recovered and it was all right. But yeah, the Arcada has always been one of my favorite spots. I love it.
0: How long have you been playing with uh, Tom
1: Kiefer for? That's a good question. It's 2017, like the beginning. Like, there's a Monsters of Rock cruise that I did with the residency, mm-hmm. and Tom was on that cruise. Yeah, Paulie Simmons was playing drums. I caught them. We got off that cruise, and, you know, I just recently got the Gene Simmons gig. So we were in rehearsals, and I only got to play a couple shows with Gene when Tony called me and asked if I would, you know, how I'd feel about playing drums with, with Tom. And I thought it was just a sub. I was like, yeah, I'll sub for Paulie. No problem. And he said, no, Paulie was tired of touring. He had a great, got a great gig offer to work at Blackbird studios, which he still does. As far as I'm, mm-hmm. as far as I'm, I'm aware. I was just like, yeah, that, that would be great. Cause I knew it would be writing music and maybe doing a record and that's sure enough. That's what happened. I couldn't do the gene thing, which would kind of bum me out, but, I think the Tom thing was just a better fit for me. And like I said, I got to do a record with Tom. I got to sit in a studio with him and write music and record it right on the spot. You know, <laughs> carefree, no pressure. It was a great, great experience. And uh Tom's really fair, you know, what I mean it was a it was just a great all around experience and I'm glad I did it. And uh, I I just hope we get to do another record, you know. I hope. It's kind of how that works you know we just keep focused on delivering a, a show that's 150 percent you know and uh if Tom's inspired and has ideas then we'll just ex- you know we'll expand on them
0: yeah
1: try and extrapolate that stuff out of his brain you
0: know so you got the gig through no and Tony but did that go back to uh, playing with Damon Johnson through that connection
1: <sighs> no it, it, the connection was actually Tony and I barely knew each other at that point like we had played a couple of like he'd come and sat in at the residency of course i knew who he was and oh okay and it was always exchanging pleasantries and tony knew me from the residency and i think when paulie quit that's the first time i actually had heard the story later that tom had seen me play because tom was on the cruise and savannah and kendra were going to be singing a couple of songs with us backgrounds with Mm -hmm. the residency on the boat and tom came out you know to watch savannah and kendra and i guess he hadn't asked about me like he's the guy playing drums or whatever and so when all this kind of went down after the cruise was over like the following week they all had a discussion and my name came up you know i i auditioned tony kind of slipped me the the live versions of stuff and he said hey this segues into this so if you want to you know be hip to this and this this is the ending for this. And oh, so I, I okay. was able to make a chart and learn it. And I was ready. You know, I went into the the audition and I nailed the stuff. You know, Tom was imp- you know, he was impressed that like I was able to do the endings right. I only, I think I only played three or four songs. I mean, it wasn't some grueling. It's not like it was rocket science, but, <laughs> you know, to, Tony gave me the, he gave me the, the inside scoop on some stuff which definitely helped yeah so that was in i think i auditioned in march of 17 and as a matter of fact the first show damon was opening up the show it was in kentucky somewhere oh uh, so i had to have a buddy of mine sub the day you know i subbed the damon gig out to a buddy of mine because tom didn't want me playing both gigs which i mean i get it yeah
0: well it's worked out because that's what seven years now so
1: yeah a couple of them not playing but yeah And that's really a drag because we released that record in what? Oh yeah, that was
0: 19, yeah.
1: Yeah, we released Rise in September of 19. And it started climbing, the active rock charts, man. It started climbing and it was doing really good. And um, we had a pretty amazing tour scheduled for 2020. Um. We were going to be going to Europe and some places I'd never been, like Austria. And we were supposed to play Vakin. Damn. It was like this three-week killer tour over there that was going to be right in the middle of major tour we were doing in the States. The European thing was going to split it right now. We were going to come back from Europe and then kind of pick up where we left off. And COVID came and just denied us all of that so yeah that was really and then you know then the record just died you know what i mean all that momentum it would it we we might be having a different conversation right now had it not been for all that stuff that went down you know i was really looking forward to that tour
0: i did uh, see you though before the album came out at top golf
1: oh yeah yeah Yeah. at the at the cowan i think it's called the cowan top Golf. Um, yeah they that i guess that venue has since closed like the they don't do shows there anymore. Oh, Top Topgolf, Topgolf is still there, but yeah. they're not doing shows anymore, I guess. That's what I heard. They opened up the Brooklyn Bowl, which is a great venue here in town. Mm-hmm. And I got to play there with Damon when we opened up for uh, Michael Shanker, And that went really well. Yeah, we did a couple of shows with them.
0: My friend Kenny Wright, he went to that show.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a good venue, man.
0: How long have you been playing with Damon? Because you guys have done acoustic stuff, plugged in, and then now Brother Kane, too
1: yeah i i met damon in 2006 or seven he was with a band called whiskey falls i had done some stuff with them they were like half the guys were from la and then buck johnson was out here and when i started doing showcases and stuff with them damon wasn't in the band yet they were still trying to kind of fill out what was going on it was a singer songwriter thing they came through bakersfield they were on a radio tour damon had since joined i'd done some things and i hadn't heard from them in months um and the lead singer seven called me and asked if i would come down to uh the crystal palace and play like go home they were doing some acoustic stuff and they just kind of wanted to ramp it up with you know put some rhythm in there and i knew the material already so i was like sure i'll come down i'll do it and that's when i met damon for the first time and We had a quick sound check and then I went and played a show with him, no rehearsal or anything. And um, Damon and I just hit it off, man, immediately. And um, he's really responsible for me being the drummer in that band because after we did the show, it was like, hey, great hang. And they got on the tour bus and they're talking with the manager, okay, this is what we got to do for the week. We got to do this. And oh, we got to get the band put together. We got to get a drummer. And Damon's like, we just played with their drummer. That guy that just played with us—that's our drummer—and basically, that's kind of how it happened. And Damon and I, at sound checks, we would be playing like Van Halen and stuff, you know. And <laughs> we would always, you know, he, we'd like we gotta we gotta put together like a power rock trio. Sometime we gotta make this happen, and it just never happened because that band dissipated. And you know, Damon lived in Alabama. I lived in California. Still, we both moved to Nashville like right around the same time so it just kind of came to fruition. I mean, he called me up and he's like, "Dude, we're making this happen. We're going to put we're going to put this band together and I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to do something." <laughs> and sure enough, it just kind of it just kind of snowballed really from there, man, and we've just been making music ever since. I've done pretty much I mean, from Echo on, I would have been on that album before that release, but like I said, we just never could make it happen. And I didn't really have the remote studio thing going on at that time. So basically from echo on, it's me, <laughs> you know, I did the EP and then the live record and then memoirs and then battle lessons. And
0: has there been a good response with
1: those shows? Yeah. I, I you know, I, as far as I can tell, I mean, um, I know that I'm not Scott, I'm not the original drummer. Um, and I've been in these situations many times. Um, Scott Man, I, I love all the stuff he played, and I, I really I really pay homage to a lot of the things that he did. I'll yeah. play them as is, but you know that stuff I'm going to make mine as well. Scott played great parts, man, and he's a great player, and that band was undeniable. And I think for them it was just an issue of timing. They just they just it, they never had it right with what was going on with the industry, because yeah. um, they should they should have been huge once again what whatever you define success as i mean i, I feel like that was a, you know a successful band they did three records they're all great records you know there's there's some great music and i'm just i'm happy to be part of that lineage man to be able to play that stuff and uh i come into that thing with with full respect and i appreciate damon asking me to be a part of that you know he's he's my brother man i'm going to give that music the respect that it deserves and we have serious conversations about this man without getting too into what what we discuss i mean he knows how i feel about that stuff and he knows how i am as a musician and he and i have serious conversations about that music in particular because it's you know it's that music is not on 10 all the time man it requires a certain kind of finesse to it it's not always just beating the shit out of everything that music's got hills and valleys dynamics and that's what makes it really really a great musical experience for me and i constantly relay that to damon and um he knows how i feel about that stuff and he knows how uh you know, how I am when it comes to approaching music and the respect that it deserves. And I feel like this band is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's great. You know, Buck Johnson, man, we actually had the we had the Leslie out with the with the B three and everything, the organ sounds and he actually brought the Leslie cabinet out. And this last run we did was super, super it was killer. I mean, I, I felt like we two good reps is what I call it. Repetitions. The more reps we get the better. You know, unfortunately, we're all involved in so many other things that we. by the time we get a stride, we got to split. You know what I mean? We got to go yeah. do our other obligations. So it would be really amazing if this band could get out and do a proper run of like a month, even just give us a month and do like three shows a week, three or four shows, not night up. you know, maybe two nights a night off and another night or two. Do that for like a month, this band would be completely unstoppable. Because we're going out there with like a couple hours of rehearsal. It's it's the, it's the just getting those repetitions in, man. I felt like this last run we did was two solid reps. And that's that's how we leave it, you know what I mean? Tony and Damon together is a great combination. And like I said, you know, add Buck into that mix vocal-wise, it's ridiculous. And, you know, and Glenn's been laying that stuff down. I mean, Glenn was the original bass player, you know? Yeah. He was on the first record. So Glenn's having a great time with that too, man. And and I didn't know Glenn before until this thing all got put together. It's just, there's just a lot of respect up there, man. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm curious to see how far we can take this thing, you know?
0: So when you're out on the road, I know Tony goes record shopping. Like, do you have stuff that you do uh, to kind of like, like hobbies that
1: you do? Tony and I both actually, I'm an avid golfer, man. Like I, I golf. That's when I'm not playing drums. I like to be swinging clubs. Um, I got really serious about it again, like the last couple of years. Spent a lot of money on on some new clubs and just getting my game back together. I've I've played golf since I was about 10. Um, But then once I got, you know, 16, 17, I kind of stopped playing for a while. And then I kind of got back into it in my 20s a little bit. And then it's just kind of been dissipating and over the last four or five years I've gotten really serious about it again and I'm I'm getting my game happening but that's something that we love to do on the road and Tony's Tony plays too granted I know Tony's gonna go record chopping and maybe not go golfing but if I can golf I'm gonna golf getting back into fitness a lot hitting the gym and getting a workout in but I think this year I'm not sure I haven't seen the tour schedule you know, obviously, I have a membership at like a Planet Fitness, and I can go to anyone I want. But they're not always wherever we go. Oh, Most yeah. of the time, they are, but they're not always there. So, I think this year, I'm already kind of looking ahead. I'm going to, um, I'm going to be bringing out some weights and stuff to be able to work out and stay healthy. And I quit drinking after Christmas, and uh, so I'm not drinking any alcohol. Just trying to get healthy again, man. I'm getting older. And I'm just kind of looking back. and going, I probably need to rethink some things, you know. So that's kind of the path that I'm on. And that's that's what I'm going to do when when we're not playing. When I get off the bus, I'm going to be working out and, and hitting a golf course, you know, and just trying to get, get healthy again, you know.
0: Well, good Fit, for you, like man. I said,
1: fitness. Yeah, yeah man. It's I got to get it back. I was the healthiest I'd ever been when I was 40. I was working out and just eating insanely clean and I injured myself so I mean that that's how it always starts you injure yourself and you're like okay I, I can't lift anymore I can't do anything so I don't want anything to affect my drumming I've, I've gotten to the point now where it's like I just I just feel better like not drinking anymore and eating better and I I, I, I always get up early I mean we go to bed early and get up early around here man that's kind of what you do as you get older anyway but I like, I like season the day, man. I know it sounds kind of (laughs) corny, but you get older and it's like, man, I I pissed away so much time just doing nothing, you know? And I don't want to sit on a bus tour bus all day. It's not fun for me. I try and get off the bus and whether I'm walking around a city, checking it out, doing whatever, trying to get an Uber to go play golf. Like I said, Tony and I, we, we bring our clubs on tour. We put them under the bus, man. (laughs) And, uh, that's like, that's a big thing. I mean, that's definitely an important part of the day because we usually don't even sound check till about three 30 in the afternoon. So you can do the math. I mean, if we're getting up at seven, that's a lot of hours to sit around, man. Being yeah. on a tour is not the party that everybody makes it out to be. I mean, I guess it can be for some people, but it's, it's really boring as hell. To be honest. I mean, you're waiting around a good portion of the day and it's, it's it's important to have some kind of a hobby or something to get out and do. Do so you just,
0: have any certain like towns that you're looking forward to to go to that might have cool like courses? Well, to work uh, out?
1: I'm hope well, I'm hoping we get through Arizona this year. Arizona always has amazing golf, and I have a really good friend of mine that lives there. He's made the best golf experiences of my life happen. He's been instrumental in them, and every time we go through Arizona, it's always a, a great hang with him. We always play good courses and it's just a good, a good time. So I'm hoping that, that, and then I'll play golf anywhere we've had, we've played. I've got to play some really cool courses. I got to play Firestone country club, Tony and I both. So just about anywhere I'm looking forward to anywhere. I mean, especially we get to over to California later in the year. That's, that's my stomping ground. Great courses out there, but golf's really taken off the last 20 years it's become more into the limelight. So a lot of people are really, they're investing money in their golf courses. And so it's, there's golf everywhere. That's great. If we go down into the South, more like Alabama, there's Robert Trent Jones trail that I love. Florida, of course, there's more courses in Florida than anywhere else. But a lot of the excitement, man, also is uh, maybe some of these, areas that we haven't been i mean i've played pretty much every major city in the united states and most of the small ones as well but every once in a while you'll squeak through an area that maybe i haven't been so that's part of the excitement too is like looking up a course and going hey let's go check this out you know some it's hit or miss sometimes you'll get a course that's not that great but man a bad day of golf is Still not that bad. Getting fresh air, don't, at
0: least. Yeah. yeah doing something. Don't,
1: listen, don't get me wrong, man. I can I can lay in my bunk with the best of them and watch Netflix, which is I do. When we're you know the gig's over, we get a shower. I'm in my PJs, man. I'm in my bunk and I'm I'm watching a movie. And then we're driving down the road and I fall asleep and we wake up and we're in the next town during the day. I'm going to try and get out and, and and get a little golf in or something. Get a walk in, go see something, maybe grab some cool food somewhere, something, you know, just to get off that bus.
0: I don't want to keep you too long, but I got some random questions, I guess. Sure, bro. What is the last movie that you watched then?
1: Last movie? Yeah. I guess, I mean, the last movie like in a theater, we we actually went with Tom this last summer when we were on tour. Tom took us, paid for the tickets, took us to go see um, the Top Gun Maverick movie. Oh, cool. That's we did that as a band, which is kinda cool, but that's hard to answer because I watched I do watch a lot of movies when I'm home off a tour. I, I'm I'm in my room upstairs right now, which is kind of my office, and I just spent a lot of money this year. I bought a four K and put it in here. I've got some pretty impressive gear in this small room for like a theater. I mean, it literally shakes the house. <laughs> Much to everybody else's chagrin, but for me, and I—I I, I mean, I put a sleeper sofa in here, and the whole deal, man. Like it's <laughs> this is like my theater room.
0: Yeah,
1: I, you know, I just watch random movies, man. I mean, anything on Netflix. Um, I know we've been watching The Last of Us that series. We're kind of into that, and uh, I've been—I'm—I I'm, I'm, just got hip to The Crown. But I mean, of course, I love like Game of Thrones and Vikings of Valhalla. I love all those Vikings type movies, man. I'm—I don't know if that's because that's part of my heritage man i'm scottish so oh, love cool. all of it yeah <laughs> but yeah dude I, I mean i could probably rattle off 50 movies i mean we we you know movies get watched around here but it's more more so these days we're watching series we're getting caught up on some of that stuff uh, you binging, and binging all that the shows yeah, yes, uh, yes 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 Definitely. You already
0: answered a question uh, that I was going to ask. So Your first album was Kiss Hotter Than Hell.
1: That's the one that was bought for me. The first records that I purchased with my own money, oh, okay. were uh, yeah. were um, Sticks Grand Illusion Foreigner Double Vision, which those were a year apart. But um, Grand Illusion came out in seventy seven, and Double Vision was seventy eight. But I bought both of them in seventy eight. St- Sticks had already been out, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: But those are the two records, the first two records, LPs. My sister took me to. There's a record store called Licorice Pizza. I don't know if anybody's hip to those, but I don't know if it was a West Coast thing or not. But is that that's there what was the record, a movie
0: that came out that was Licorice Pizza? Does that have something yeah, to do with man. that? Then
1: it's actually that was the name of of a record store back in the '70s. Man, Licorice Pizza was huh. was a spot. My sister took me there, and I bought. Remember, I bought those two records, and I'm I'm sure it was less than ten dollars for both of them. You know. LPs, yeah But those were the first two that I actually purchased With my own money But yeah, the first record that was given to me My dad, for Christmas Got me hotter than hell, which is so funny I mean, he probably (laughs) just picked it up I just said, I want a Kiss record You know, because I was terrified When I first saw the first Kiss record With their four faces on the front I once again, I was with my sister at the mall And, you know I'm a little kid, man And I saw that, and it scared the crap out of me But it was (laughs) one of those things where like I kept getting closer to it. You know, I'd look and then next thing you know, I'm holding it. I'm just like, what is this magnificence that I'm holding in my hand? What is this? So I didn't get the first album right out of the gate. Went back. I think maybe I got double platinum after that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just kind of went back and just bought everything. But after unmasked, I was kind of done. I think I had lick it up, kind of got disinterested. I'm one of the only guys that I know that actually likes the elder. There's some songs on there that are incredible.
0: Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you crap for that because I like a ton of songs on there too.
1: I mean, like I, well, uh, let me uh, to yeah. be more specific, man. Eric Carr's drumming on that record is superb. It's superb. His drumming is incredible on that record. Let's go. The, the stuff that he came up with, his parts, I mean, for, and I guess that, that was his first record, right? Yeah, yeah, first? yeah, that was, was his first one. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, to come out of the gate and playing that stuff, I mean, really go, go back and listen to the the parts that he created, man. I mean, th- that record, there's some amazing drumming on that. And I, I, I mean, I had to give it up to them for doing like a concept record like that. They got a lot of shit for that. Yo, but, yeah, And I think even Gene hates it. I never really got to talk to him about it because I would have told him, "Hey, I think it's a great record. I think there's some great stuff on there." Paul sang, never sang better. You know, he sang great on that record. Oh but, yeah, the
0: one that was like
1: the oath or something. He's doing some oath? real high yeah. stuff on there. Yes, man. Yeah. I liked Mr. Blackwell. I liked all. I just, I dug all of it, man. <laughs> I dug all of it. I, I, and the drumming just blew me away, man. So, but yeah, I mean, I that was at a point in my life. After that, like. 82 83 like around lick it up i started after creatures of the night lick it up i kind of just went a different direction man i started listening to different i started getting more into like the police you know and more of that kind of stuff you know missing persons and started getting hip to like that 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 kind of stuff the pop music of the 80s you know which i still love that stuff too man that stuff is just like i said a lot of memories when i was a kid good times you know what was your what, first what, what, what? concert
0: then oh
1: that's a great question god that would have been ufo my sister that that was my first concert ufo and i saw sticks right around the same time so I, it was one of those two ufo or sticks surprisingly man i didn't go to a lot of concerts when i was a kid i don't know why i i, I listen to so much music but concerts just didn't happen for me very much then later, I mean, of course, as I got older, but until I, until I was driving, I guess concerts didn't really happen. And then, like at that point in my life, sixteen, seventeen, I was even going towards another direction of like fusion, jazz, and stuff like that. So, oh, wow. I was hanging at these clubs in L.A. and watching like Vinnie Collyuda and I mean, I just i go to this little place called Lake Cafe upstairs and. It only held like about 60 people in this room. So I would sit down and Vinny's floor tom and cymbal were literally, I could touch them. They were right in front of me. And it's like, those are, those are drum lessons, man. I think he paid $10 to get in a, in a, in a two drink minimum, which I mean, I wasn't 21. So I was buying a Coke or whatever, you know, that was like my experience, you know, smaller clubs going to see these amazing musicians, and not so much the huge concert experience, you know. i I kind of missed out on a lot of the concert experience because I was just in such a different direction in my life, you know. Yeah, when I was 16, 17, 18, I guess I could have been listening to Metallica or something, or but I'm I'm a first three records Metallica guy after Master of Puppets, I was just kind of going a different direction and Justice for All and, and the Black Album. I mean, I'm familiar with them, but those two records to me, those aren't the records that I want to listen to if i want to listen to metallica i'm going to listen to Kill 'Em all ride the lightning or master of puppets that's what i want to hear you know what i mean yeah and I, i'm i'm in a small i realize i'm in a small percentile of people but that's just me you know i don't i don't care for the later stuff to be honest oh,
0: actually i think you're and that goes I'm more in the majority because i think the majority is all just the thrash stuff that's it yeah
1: the first three records man and that once again that was a very impressionable time of my life too that's kind of that whole thing but yeah. i mean i i was listening to so many different kinds of music at that point where it just that's that stuff just didn't it didn't hold my interest anymore you know yeah. i just wasn't i just wasn't feeling it and
0: you're probably getting closer to playing music too right joining bands
1: oh i i had been playing in bands since i was 13 Oh, um, damn! and that's the thing see when i was 13, 14, 15, right before, like right before I started going on getting interested in a jazz, I was, I was playing like speed metal. So I was in a band called dismal void and we played, it was original stuff, but it was very influenced by like Exodus and, you know, Slayer and that kind of stuff, yeah. which I've totally dug. I still, and that's, I love all that early Slayer stuff too, you know, all of it, hella weights and, I did, all that early stuff was just, I dig it. It's great stuff. But even after that, it was like, then I just started, then I, I heard Dave Weckl and I started getting into jazz and I was like, I want to play like this. And so I just kind of went down that whole route. It's, it's crazy, man. It hasn't just been rock and roll for me. You know, it started, it started out as rock and roll. Then it was like rock and roll mixed with Motown and stacks. And, My mom loved Elvis and Kenny Rogers and all that stuff as well. I mean, it's just, we, you might hear a war record on one minute. We're listening to low rider and then Kenny Rogers, the gamblers on, you know what I mean? After that, I mean you just never knew what was going to be from one minute to the next. And I'm thankful for that. To be honest, I'm really glad.
0: Probably made you more versatile musician, right? I guess being One hundred percent. One hundred percent.
1: I I yeah. totally believe that, and I'm I'm thankful that my parents did that and listened to so many different kinds of things. I was it wasn't just one thing, you know.
0: Yeah. Um. All right, man. Well, um. Thank you so much for talking to me. And uh, my I pleasure, man. My pleasure. I hope again. I wasn't. Too,
1: what what area are you in?
0: I'm in Peoria, Illinois, Central Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But... You know, I know we're gonna be back up that way, man. That's like the mm-hmm. main stomping grounds. We'll be up there.
0: Oh, because I know I've seen you. Yeah, like I don't know. Like I remember like random like dates and stuff. But I remember I saw you 2015. You were here with Damon doing uh, the trio, and then I saw you again up in like Moline, Illinois. Um, that's when you had Tony with you, and you guys were actually a four piece. Come back here a few times, Kenny Bailey.
1: that's always fun. Those are always fun. Actually, yeah. I, that's always um, a
0: lot. I got one more question for you that I'll throw in. Okay. Do you prefer those kind of smaller venues like that, or do you prefer the big arenas to play in? Or
1: That's a that's a great question, man. That's a great question. And I'll tell you, um, I love the intimacy of some of those smaller clubs like that, especially when it's a place like Kenny's Spot, like where we know them and like yeah, they yeah. always treat us really great. It's great, and it sounds good in there. It's always pro but i'm going to tell you my favorite venues to play are theaters like anywhere from like 1500 to like 2500 seater theaters and performing arts centers those are my absolute favorite venues to play sonically it doesn't get any better for me i mean we've played i've i've played a couple of uh arenas and i got to be honest man they're they're not always they don't always go that smooth you know what i mean um those big huge i mean they're fun they're fun like the stuff we did with um with damon opening up for skinnerd that was a lot of fun because i really feel like that get ready stuff is it's kind of built for that kind of thing you know what i mean yeah i think it's that music it just really it fits that whole vibe and those were great those were fun but um things get really weird with pas when you start playing huge venues i just think for me personally the vibe that i get my favorite shows are like theaters a couple thousand people theater those are those are generally my favorite though i don't i'm not a fan of outdoor big outdoor shows outdoor i just i don't like the way the drums sound outside so to shed, answer that yeah is. m3 is a good venue like the Meriwether, that's a great venue because you kind of get in the best of both worlds you know you're getting like that theater vibe with an arena ish type of thing that's opened up so those are those kind of venues are cool. You get enough of that slapback or whatever, you know. So it feels like that. Those are great. But
0: I guess that's why you'd prefer the Akademy then, because yeah, you mentioned that earlier.
1: <laughs> love yeah. it. Yeah, those kind of theaters are great, man. The the sound in there is just it's unsurpassed, man. So we'll yeah. see how that kind of translate this year, man. We're trying to I'm trying to get on in ears this year, Um just for my mixing capabilities. I want to be in charge of my own mix, but. These are things that we got to work out in pre-production, see if it's going to be feasible. But we've been doing in ears with Damon on these gigs, and it's just I love in ears. I I prefer it because I can control everything, and I can it doesn't blow my ears out, and um, I like being in charge of that kind of stuff, you know. So I can make adjustments on the fly. Everybody's got iPads. I I roll with two of them, you know. One of them has my click, so I can have my tempos on it. Oh, and the other one has the control so I can adjust my levels, you know. And I can control everything from my whole kit to guitars to vocals and everything. So I just prefer being in charge. So we'll see how that kind of translates. I'm trying to move that over into Tom's camp. At least for me and the keyboard player, we want to do that. You know, if we can do it, it doesn't matter, you know.
0: Um. All right, man. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, hopefully I'll catch you out on the road this year because... I'm sure I'll see you between either Brother Kane or Tom Kiefer Band.
1: Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it, brother.
0: And really, thank you for putting that Grand Funk Railroad album out there because
1: I love that. You got it, man. Yeah, that's, that's, I'll probably listen to that tomorrow. I got some things I got to do around here. I'll probably throw that thing in and let the neighbors enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it, brother. We'll talk to you soon, man.